house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Talk of the Cannes Film Festival. These your paper boys. What are they gonna do for us? They're gonna save you. Instantly notorious. The Atlantic raves. It's pulpy, sweaty, outrageously entertaining. And Time Magazine says it digs deep, down, and dirty with sensational indignities. Gotta get out of there, boy. Matthew McConaughey, Zac Efron, with John Cusack and Nicole Kidman. The paper boy. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast baking a Morton family strata every Christmas, just before pouring it all over ourselves. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, freelance entertainment writer Chris File, and I'm here dancing in the rain in my tidy whities with my floozy co-host, senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. Excuse me, I have to adjust my wig a few times before I'm ready to Several podcast. Several times. Several Joe, times. I told you to come here in a dress. How can I tell you apart from everyone else when you're wearing pants? Ugh. Uh, oh, just making me think the of grossest. John Cusack in this movie is grossing me out. How great do you think John Cusack thinks he is? In this oh movie? my God, he thinks he's brilliant in this movie. We'll get into it. We'll totally get into it. But first things first, Joseph, Happy yes. New Year. Happy New Year. We are here Happy in 2019. Happy New Year. It's our first episode of 2019. Can't believe we made it through 2018 before talking about this movie. Ugh. Lee Daniels 2019. It's just, that's the year. It's going to be Lee Daniels' 2019. Do a mini-series on Lee Daniels. Oh my. Honestly, we probably could. Anyway, if you haven't already guessed from our super gross cues about this movie, Ugh. it's a new year, but it's the same us. Even though this week we're talking about a somewhat stranger and pervier movie than usual. 2012's period swamp crime saga, The Paperboy. Uh, this film was a convergence of several Oscar narratives that we'll get into, and it's all packaged in one super sweaty movie. Very um, sweaty. Lee Daniels' follow-up to the Oscar success of Precious. It was right in the middle of the reconnaissance, but the closest thing it got to Oscar's graces is Nicole Kidman at her horniest. Um, <laughs> yes. but, uh, quite. We'll also get into that. Um, but Lee Daniels' follow-up to Precious proved to be a bit too pulpy and naughty for the Academy, or maybe it was just totally all over the place. Maybe it was the disemboweled alligator. Um, Joe, do you think... That the Academy will ever be ready for a movie where Nicole Kidman pees on Zac Efron. I mean, yes. I don't know if that's optimistic or pessimistic when I say that. Um, there should be a whole Nicole Kidman peeing on Zac Efron cinematic universe. There should be. First of all, also, maybe... Lee Daniels we'll, agrees with us, definitely. May, maybe if that happens, we can get one version of it where it's filmed well. Like, for... <laughs> I just, that scene makes me so mad because it's just sort of like, 
it really rests on the idea of just like just her saying I'm gonna pee on him is like enough. If anybody's gonna pee on him, it's gonna be me. We're gonna have to do something a little embarrassing here. You gotta hang in there. Hi. Wait, you're gonna. You're gonna. Did you say you're him? gonna piss on him? What are you doing to him? Call an ambulance. Lady, look, he's having an allergic reaction. Got Shut the fuck Don't up. Don't push me. You're supposed to piss Get on him. Get the fuck out of here. I can see this. I can see his partner. You don't. And that's sort of like very, very clever. Like we like it it's very impressed with itself, that whole scene with like we're just gonna close up to just the urine falling and we're gonna have a ironic song choice and it's just gonna be so like uh, I don't know. There's a lot about what about what I don't like about this movie that is encapsulated in that scene, which is just like false uh outrageousness, false sort of, you know we're breaking decorum here. And it's just like in the most pedestrian way, honestly, I will confess. like friends did a joke about peeing on somebody when they've been stung by a jellyfish friends several years before that. Does this make them the Monica and Chandler of the lead annuals cinematic experience? Yeah. Except Nicole Kidman is the Chandler and Zach Efron is the Monica, which actually makes sense. <laughs> Nicole Kidman is the Chandler. Yeah. I mean, they did that on Survivor also. Like, it's not, it's one of these things where it's just like, oh, just because it's Nicole Kidman it's and, and Zac Efron, it's, you know, it's this heightened thing. And it's just like, I think that only takes you so far. And that's my problem with a lot of this movie. My thing is, okay, maybe this scene is like the breaking point where I'm, it would be better if it was like, and that's the end of the movie for me. Because like <laughs> the first half hour of this movie... I'm kind of into it, and all of the things that you say are, like, these false grossness things. Like, he Lee Daniels is at least achieving what he is very clearly wanting to achieve in the first half hour of this movie. Um, and, like, I kind of like it, but then I think, if I'm remembering correctly after watching it a day later, the pee scene is where it's like, and now the movie's going to be very boring. It, ris- and, it really is kind of a dividing line, isn't it? Um. But before we get too far into it, because I know we'll have a lot to say about Nicole Kidman's performance as well um, and what she is able to do for this movie. Joseph. Yes. Would you like to give our lovely listeners who may or may not have been like straight away from all of the pee talk. Right. Would you like to give them a 60 second plot description? I'll do my best. Ready. You are ready. Yeah. I will start your timer. Okay. Ready. Go. Okay, so Matthew McConaughey plays a writer named Ward Jansen who goes back to his uh, very backwater, backwater-esque uh, Florida hometown to work on a story about this convicted cop killer named Hillary Van Wetter, played by John, John, John Cusack. Not, we're not lucky enough to have John Cusack. And uh, with McConaughey is this fellow writer named Yardley Ackerman, played by David Oyelowo, who's British, and McConaughey's brother is seconds. Zac Efron, who's named Jack, and he's going to be their driver. And so Nicole Kidman plays Charlotte, who is the like prison pen pal bride of this awful, gross killer. And she's going to help these guys get 
uh, closer to his story and they want to clear his name and he's awful and Kidman and Jack sort of start uh, and Efron have this like flirty romance but it's not really a romance just Jack is obsessed with her and then ultimately um McConaughey gets raped and then McConaughey Time. and Kidman get killed and Macy Gray is the best <laughs> I don't know Okay, so you ended that with Macy Gray's the best. And she like, is the two... best. She's the best performance in this movie. Um, there's two problems with that I have with how like that like your sixty second plot revealed like problems with the movie. First of which, even though it was out of the time, Macy Gray is the best. Macy Gray has nothing to do with this movie. Second, you entered the sixty second plot description with Matthew McConaughey, who also has so little to do with this movie and like Matthew McConaughey's character is not the most important character in the movie and McConaughey knows it and you can see it in his performance yeah we're like he's he's halfway plugged in because he knows that he's not the interesting part of this movie yeah and it's interesting that that this comes within this was like smack dab in the middle of the McConaissance but nobody ever mentions it because of that fact because his character gets like and like shit happens to his character and his character is like a closeted you know guy in the in this is the 60s 70s when is this it's the 70s i believe it's 1974 if i remember the movie correctly okay. but also he's not just closeted he's into like violent sex with like, black he wants guys violence done to him like with specifically black guys for like reasons black girls skunking pulling the blinds and poodle balling and and like and he's self-hating and he's like there's a whole lot and yet like th- that is as a they're all curiosities that's the other thing is like it's lee daniels sort of like southern gross swampy curiosity museum and that's just like one thing just like imagine a closeted man who likes black guys to beat him up and a no yellow's character is just like imagine a british dandy who's not so british and all of this stuff <laughs> and ultimately mcconaughey's character is never a subject we never really get into his head really like beyond maybe like we learn a little bit about him sort of externally but we never get him do you know what i mean he never gets to really plumb into that character very much i think the closest we get is jack which is the zach efron character who like efron's very good but there's not a whole lot internally to this guy except for the fact that he's sort of dreamily in love with nicole kidman's character who is the most like two-dimensional trash swamp princess whatever and cusack's just awfulness personified and so the most three-dimensional character is Macy Gray, who is not only a character, but is also giving you voiceover from, like, after the fact. And then Jack, like I said, he was a swimmer. And, uh, almost professional, very close, but then he got kicked off the swim team, and he got kicked out of college, and he came back home to his papa's house to deliver newspapers. He didn't want to come back home, but he didn't have nowhere else to go. And both of those things are very interesting, because she's... As an actress, we haven't really seen her in a whole lot of things, so it's tough to tell how much of this is just sort of, like, her playing into her own affect or her, like, creating a character. But, like, whatever way you shake it out, she makes this lifelong nanny-made character into this kind of 
low key, like minor key halfway. She always sort of seems like halfway up on what's going on, but it turns out she's like the all seeing eye. And her relationship yeah. with Efron's character is really interesting because it's it's not anything that I feel like we've seen in like stereotypical movies about the South during the middle of the 20th century, right? Right, like there's the whole scene where she's joshing him about like always being essentially half naked and yeah. like, walking in on him jerking off and... It's a really funny. It's like the first scene of the movie. Actually, no, the first scene of the movie is her. Just her. Is just her preparing to give this like narration, and she's legitimately adjusting her wig. Like it's open on Macy Gray adjusting her wig. I should love this movie. I should love this movie. I'm telling you, the first half hour of this movie, which is probably the most Macy Gray heavy, is good. I think, even though it's like utter garbage, but it's like let's be like. Sinast garbage. Um, no, I, I think the first like... half—the first half of this movie—I remember thinking as I was watching it again uh, the other night, like, "Oh, was maybe I was wrong? Maybe, maybe because the Paperboy is one of those movies that a lot of people hate, and then the people who love it get to be like, you just don't get high camp. You just like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of like." But the, the, people who, the people who like this movie o- occupy the sort of like rarefied air of just sort of like, well, I wasn't turned off by the trashiness because the trashiness is the point. And I feel yes. like hating this movie has been sort of viewed as being like pedestrian in some way. I think that first half hour of the movie, it's partly compelling because you're like, okay, what is this going to be? What is this story going to like unfold where it's like there's a mystery to it is where is the part of the movie where the movie is most certain what it is. And then once you get past that point where we are certain what the movie is, the movie becomes less confident and like narratively messy. Yeah. Like the last act of this movie fully blows. Yes. It does. Where it's just like, you don't, that's maybe part of the problem when you're doing like this high camp and you don't necessarily do it well, even though you do all of the affectations of it well, like when you don't, you know, create an actual compelling narrative, it's like, this movie's boring when it's plotty. Oh, absolutely. It's like, who cares? Nobody cares. It's all, it should be all about atmosphere. And yet- a lot of the atmosphere, because it's this sort of just, like, lazy, like, you know, the sun has sapped all of your energy. Like, that seems to be the vibe of a lot of this movie is just sort of, like, the the camera even just sort of, like, lazily dissolves from one thing to another all the time. And Efron's sort of inner character, which is sort of voiced by the Macy Gray voiceover, she's always telling us what Jack was thinking. And yeah. Jack was in Which love is a with problem Charlotte. with his character because Jack really only exists to be a body in a pair of white of t- whitey tighties. And like I think like, that could work in a movie that was more about that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now my yeah. fucking radiator is clanging. I'm sorry, everybody. My radiator fucking sucks. Your radiator has opinions about this movie. My radiator does not care or for... Your, your radiator wants you to be as sweaty as everyone in this Ugh, movie. Boy, are they ever. Jeepers crepes. Okay, let's let's talk about the McConaughey's a little bit. Okay. Because we haven't really talked about Matthew McConaughey or the McConaughey's quite yet on this podcast. But, like, this happens... This is the year before Dallas Buyers Club. 
the three movies that Matthew McConaughey had, it's like he just walked two blocks and filmed another movie uh-huh. this year. It was The Paperboy, Mud, and Magic Mike. And Killer Joe, right? That was all the same year. No, Killer Joe was at Venice the year before, I believe, and was just released this year. Right, but I mean, that's when people saw it. That's when, you know. Right. That's when I saw it. That's when you saw it. It's like he has all of these. While he's getting his resurgence, it starts in this, like, southern trash vibe. Yeah. Kind of, like... Also, and Bernie like, was Magic another Mike one that the like technically opened, like technically screened in 2011, but is a 2012 movie. Yeah, it's funny how like McConaughey gets the McConaissance out of appearing in five movies in a year, and like Jude Law gets mean Chris Rock jokes at the Oscars for it. Do you know what I mean? Right, right, and it's always because like we're talking about the one that's maybe. It's definitely the worst regarded, but kind of like the most intentionally forgotten. Like, I don't think people talk about Mud all that much now, but it has its fans. Magic Mike is the one that I think is of kind course. of, at least the performance is universally loved. I yeah. would say that's what he should have his Oscar for. Um, I always think it's interesting when you have these performers who have a million things at once, or it's like they're seemingly everywhere or having like a renaissance because we try to apply that word to like everyone and even like Reese Witherspoon has a weird one coming with it. Um, I'm sure. Are you talking about the, rena- are you talking about the resurgence? Oh uh, no, you are trying Trademark to make the Katie resurgence Rich. happen. And I appreciate your efforts because it other people are like, it happens. or something. No, Katie Rich coined the term resurgence and I will die making it happen because it's, very good you heard it here folks i'm always fascinated though when this happens for a performer the one that we forget about because you also have nicole kidman same performer from the same movie having one right now and nobody is talking about um how to talk to girls at parties no that's true and that's her best performance this year in my opinion, yeah. in that very strange, wonderful movie. I actually um, really do like her performance in Boy Erase, but I get what you're saying. Um, so I'm always kind of fascinated the one that fades away. Well, actually, and like this definitely does for Matthew McConaughey, and it's partly because this is the one where he's just a nothing in this movie. How do you rank the five 2012 movies? In uh, performance, as. Do both. Let's try both. Why performance not? Performance or movie? Time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's. I think okay. that's a good distinction because there's at least one of these movies where I think he's very good, but I find the movie reprehensible. Is that Killer Joe? Yes. Killer Joe as a movie, I don't think gets the satire of what that play is doing. Um, which is interesting because it's it's um. Friedkin, right? Uh, it's Friedkin as a director. It's Tracy Letts as the original playwright. Which was the same tandem that did Bug. And, like, Friedkin got Bug pretty wonderfully. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But also, Bug is, like, really straight of, like straightforward for what that play is doing. I think there's something, at least about the screen translations that Tracy Letts has had so far that don't get like the socio-political yeah. like undercurrent of it. 
Even though Bug, yes, is very good. Killer Joe was one of my all-time worst movie-attending experiences, where oh God. I saw it, and it was a decent... It was about maybe, like, a third to a halfway-filled, you know, theater on, an at, like, a weekday afternoon, which is, like, pretty good. But the audience... film. The audience that I saw it with were very, very, very appreciative of the parts where Gina Gershon's character was getting punched in the face. Oh, Jesus. And were very much, like, finding it that to be appropriate comeuppance for that character and were sort of laughing, like, had a really good laugh at her getting punched in the face. And I... I felt gross being part of that whole and at being asked to be part of that whole experience, especially because I don't think the movie fully absolves itself from its complicity in that. I think the movie, yeah. the movie really does set her up to be somebody who some people would want to see get treated that way. And then the movie tries to have its cake and eat it too, by sort of like being like, no, like that's bad. And she's like, all right, like, I don't know. I find it really, really gross and really awful. And just and the fact that it didn't really become much of anything that year is the only reason why I think more people weren't talking about how bad it was. Right. Well, and it was like in the spring, too. It's easy to see how that movie would die. So that one's my least favorite. I actually like The Paperboy more than that. Um, I think Mud ahead of that, Bernie ahead of that, and then Magic Mike is my number one. Oh, easily. I mean, my lineup would probably be closer to that. I'm more affectionate towards Mud than you probably are. I liked Bernie. Mud. I liked a lot as a movie. Genuinely don't remember anything that Matthew McConaughey does in it. I think he's pretty Apologies. funny. Also, his mom's um, in it. Like, that's cute. I like that. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. So, yeah, like, it's interesting that you bring it up in comparison to Killer Joe because it's like these, those are like, two of his movies you could put back to back and be like okay so what's the moral compass here right. is this a little questionable because and this is maybe an interesting transition into Nicole Kidman because there's an element to what is happening on screen with Nicole Kidman where you feel like she is being exploited and that's part of the point but also, when you think that, she also does this performance where it's like, oh boy, if she was ever going for it, she goes for it here. Yeah. In a way that feels like she's not because she's so in control yes. of what's happening on screen. I always imagine, like, not, at no point in this movie do I ever feel like Nicole Kidman isn't fully at the reins of what's going on. and. Yeah. I also feel like I just also don't think that Lee Daniels is the kind of director who could bulldoze her. I just don't. I just feel like right. I think Nicole like stands up to that that hurricane. In fact, there were stories after the fact where he was wavering on keeping in the peeing scene. Because he and she said to do it, and she said she's like, "You made me film it. You better fucking keep it in." <laughs> so whether that's apocryphal or not, like, I think she's a, she's a she's a daring actress, and I think this ki- she that... looks at this kind of thing, and I'm sure she like gets really psyched to do something like this just from like the rest of her filmography. I don't think there's a lot of 
like there's a real adventurous spirit with her. I think it's a I don't think it's a it's a character or a movie that deserves her. But if she does, like yeah, more power she to wants her. to go there and I think partly the appeal had to be working with Lee Daniels and taking this type of risk because like her career is defined by the risks that she's taken. Yeah. Um and like she does she's pretty bold when given the opportunity to and uh, like the, to the point where it's like, I'm sometimes surprised by the mainstream acceptance that she has. I mean, she had a period where she was, like, the A-list actress doing things like Stepford Wives that were, like, the big budget movies. But, like, it, they're kind of sparse throughout her filmography. Yeah. And, like, the type of things that she's doing, like, birth or... Right. Um, Fur. Fur. <laughs> And, like, that's part of the reason why I'm shocked that this got so close, because yes. I think her biggest fans, um, including noted friend of the podcast, Sam Herbst, who does the Kid Manifesto that we've both been on, appreciate her for those riskier performances, but, like, they don't get within a stone's throw of Oscar. Like, probably right. her riskiest performance that she's been nominated for is Rabbit Hole, and, like, that's still kind of a straightforward domestic drama and also it's a grieving mother which is a role that oscar knows very very well right. yeah i think the paperboy i think the paperboy got attention because of things like zach efron i was thinking about watching while watching the movie what a different experience it was watching it the first time because our long history of um not exploiting but like objectifying zach efron has come a long way since the Paperboy, but I feel like the Paperboy, yeah. we were objectifying him in a way that we had never, and when I say we, I mean as a culture, I don't mean you and me, even though that's a whole other story. Um, as a culture, we didn't really objectify him to this degree yet. And then since then, it's been Neighbors and the DJ movie and the movie with Michael B. Jordan where he's peeing sideways because he's got a boner. Um... What was that movie called? That awkward moment. Thank you. Um, I just feel like we've we've gotten and that and then like Baywatch and the weird like muscle pose and all that sort of stuff and like we've come a long way with the way we look at Zac Efron. But like at the time, seeing him in his underwear dancing around in like the sprinkler or whatever was a moment. Right. For the culture. That was also the same year that he made that movie, The Lucky One, with um, oh. Taylor Schilling. That was one of the, that was the Nicholas Sparks movie, based on a Nicholas Sparks novel. Um, and that, in that movie, he plays this, like, returned from Iraq, like, uh, farmhand, sort of. Like, he's just, like, a hired, like, you know, laborer or whatever on this ranch. And falls in love with Taylor Schilling. But there is a sex scene there that made it that there's a shot of it in the trailer where they're sort of like making out and he's got his shirt off and she sticks her hands down like the back of his underpants. And I remember that at the oh. time being like Zach Efron, like because ultimately by this point, like it had been like Charlie St. Cloud and Seventeen again and these sort of like, you know, swoony, but still very Hairspray. clothed. Right. Yeah. Chased. And then, like, chased. so I feel like 2012 is a big year. It's a big year for McConaughey. It's a big year for Zac Efron. It's a big year for Kidman. Like, that's what I, that's what I love about 
talking about this movie is that like there are a lot of narratives converging one of which is the lee daniels narrative that we could also talk about because the the what happens to lee daniels and his sort of standing in the interim between precious and the paperboy i think is very interesting where tell us more about that where like because so precious opens at sundance and it's this sort of like huge sensation and people like you got to see it and you know breakthrough movie breakthrough filmmaker breakthrough actress all of this stuff you know basically kicks off its oscar campaign right there in january and rides it all the way through to the year the end of the year to best picture nomination best director nomination um best actress nomination and then a win in screenplay which was an upset as i recall right yes i feel like people were expecting that would be up in the air yes yes so and then but i feel like towards even towards the oscars of that year but especially then afterwards and as this sort of like reassessments of precious were happening there was a lot of undercurrent of not even contrarianism but just sort of like a less than rosy view of that movie that 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 movie was seen by some as exploitative that it was wallowing in sort of misery porn you know a lot of this stuff and a lot of that opinion was coming from uh black film critics and black uh opinion makers which is a different i feel like then sort of like i think unlocks a lot of the other like opens some floodgates you know Mm-hmm. In a way that that can happen, in a way that, like, uh, the birth of a nation, when the birth of a nation was at Sundance, and it got these sort of, like, very, you know, rapturous reviews early on. And then I think the more you saw, you had black critics seeing it and being like, actually, wait a second. And then I think it gives, and I think especially when you're dealing with movies that have, you know, that play upon a lot of people's white guilt intentionally or not intentionally i think it then that serves as a little bit of a permission then for white critics to be like yeah it actually isn't that good and so i think that was a lot of what happened to lee daniels in the interim between precious and the paperboy which was is this guy as sort of profound as we thought he was or is this guy really good at being kind of lurid and extra and you know and if you thought Precious was about wallowing in, you know, the misery of it all and in the sort of, like, badness of it all, the Paperboy really then plays on that. Like, dives into it. Yeah. Like, but first, maybe. Right. But like, right. And I like, I mean, yeah, I like Precious, but, like, I do, it's, it's tough for me to fully, like, dismiss those kind of criticisms of it. Right. Because, I mean, like, Lee Daniels is also kind of nakedly interested in exploitation, like, as, like, how does it function? Like, what does it do to our psyche? <laughs> in a way that I think the Paperboy makes pretty clear. I wish it was a little bit more of, like, a dialogue with that exploitation, because it's just, like... yeah. The way Nicole Kidman is, like, exploited, but maybe not, because she's in control. The way that Zac Efron is, like leered over in the whole movie like 
again, and I guess maybe this comes to my head because like you're talking about like a young star in a transitional stage of their career, an actress who's like at the peak of her powers. Right. It's interesting seeing those two opposite each other, and it feels conscious on Lee Daniels' part, but not fully fleshed out. So, like, he kind of is interested in just, like, he's a populist first, but he wants to just, like, get his hands in the shit, Mm -hmm. but not really engage with it on, like, a more deeper level. How did you feel about the sort of atmospherics of the movie? This is a movie that really sort of you know, has a very distinctive visual style that is certainly commenting on a lot of other, it's like pastiche in a lot of ways, but like, did you feel like that was coherent at all? Or did you feel like I felt where it was like, you know, throw in a dissolve here, throw in a sort of like dreamy crossfade here. And it's really effective for me until, like I said a few times already when the movie becomes plotty like I wish that Lee Daniels didn't like kind of drop it in the way that he does um because it feels like well shit now we have to be a movie whereas like the kind of like porniness of it the objectification like it's about objectification in the first half hour right um and that's like kind of interesting and like like it's pervy like it's all that, but like I think it's putting you in a certain headspace that he pulls off really well. Yeah. And then as soon as it can't do that anymore, it the movie has no personality other than being gross. Like there's no visual personality. It doesn't feel intentional that like some of that pastiche is dropped. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, I don't think it's just you because I feel like it's – it's definitely something where when I think about this movie, it definitely has a there's a that visual stamp on it stays with you and it's certainly memorable. So I kind of want to bring it back to Nicole Kidman because she was the biggest thing that at least kept lingering Oscar buzz for this movie. Like we talked about, like, yeah, there's a lot in, in the narrative that would bring this into the Oscar conversation, but she got really close. Um, and as far as like some of her riskier performances or like the more auteur driven performances with maybe the exception of to die for this feels like the closest she ever got for one of those like weirdo performances that we love yeah or am i crazy there well she definitely came and close. i think it's Again. surprising for that it's this one that is so like overtly sexual and just like strange like she's the car scene where they're in the parking lot because she just wants to be close to john cusack and they can feel it in her body and like she's getting horny like, literally, she's like, oh, I'm so horny in yeah. this car. It's so, like, crazy <laughs> to me that people were, like, in SAG and the Globes, like, being like, yes, this, absolutely. I kept being surprised when the performance kept showing up, especially because, you know, for as much as we talk about the Golden Globes and SAG as being, like, the two big Oscar uh, precursors, and they gener- generally overlap decently well generally i would say the average is probably four out of five between you know the nominees for each category if you sort of like lay them one over end there are outliers of course but it's funny that that happens because the golden globe 
voting body is small, mercurial, not American. Um, and the SAG voting body is giant, very much and American. On the and the stodgier like, end and of much more, too. So it's like... Right. That's real. The SAG nomination is the surprising one because, like, sure, they're the ones nominating like Helen Mirren for um, Hitchcock. You know, like, well, that year they'll, go, they'll favor the boring pick over like the Globes, which might nominate like Greta Gerwig for Francis Ha. That year, uh, the other uh, SAG nominee who did not go on to an Oscar nomination in that category was Maggie Smith for the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, which I love that movie. And I think that's a good performance, but it's definitely a much more mainstream pick. So I think those two sort of seem at cross purposes, right? It's funny that the same voting body that nominated Maggie Smith for the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel also nominated Nicole Kidman. Although I wonder if it's that star power counts for more in a bigger voting body because, like, her, you know, name recognition trumps a lot. I don't know. We've talked about this before when it, a feat like the, the lineup feels of potential nominees feels like it could be a little thinner or not as like competitive than name recognition has a lot of factor. And I wonder if this is what it explains a lot of how these nominations happened. And yet when ultimately she fell short at the Oscars, a lot of people were very surprised. And I was just like, I don't know why you all gagging. Like it, it very much just like a, I'm with you on there, too, because it reminds me a lot of we talked about Cake a few episodes back where it's just like it keeps happening and it keeps showing up. And you're like, yeah, but Oscar is not like how far can this possibly go? And that that Oscar ultimately went for sort of home comfort, like Krabby Snacks and Homemades of Jackie Weaver in Silver Linings Playbook over like peeing on the beach. ripping your panties open and fingering yourself in front of John Cusack. Like, yeah, that makes sense to me. (laughs) It's also like, I mean, it also makes sense because there's not a whole lot of people who were maybe snubbed or like closer to a nomination in this category. Like I'm looking at critics choice right now. They chose Judy Dench for Skyfall, which was like a thing for a minute that I never understood at all. Well, Skyfall Um, was her movie. Like Skyfall was the big M movie, so I think it was almost like a career achievement for like being this person we loved in the Bond movies for all these years. But like on that individual performance, I do not get nominating that performance anyway. Um, and they also nominated Anne Dowd for Compliance, which was like this really homegrown campaign. Um, yes, that, that was a year. Like, I forgot about that. It picked up a lot of steam. Like, it was largely led by the actress herself. Yeah, well, this um, was a consider. And then Critics' Choice was the biggest yeah. thing that it earned. Man, that's an act of chutzpah, though. That is generally because what that also did was really shined a light on the fact that if your studio is not campaigning you, you really don't have a shot. And this is what you ultimately have to do if, you know, to do that, to get anything, to get any kind of attention. It also goes back to the money thing and, like, what type of infrastructure does your distributor have? Yeah. And, like, how much money did your movie make, too? Because, like, 
as of recording, we're in the thick of like the Regina Hall for support the girls conversation. And that's a movie that made a hundred thousand dollars. Like that is an incredibly uphill climb. Yes. For a movie to get, especially an acting nomination. I did some of the research for this because the Paperboy, if you're going to talk about partly why it failed, like we're saying that Nicole Kimmon specifically is just a little too wild for the Academy in this movie, even though I'm on the side of thinking that she's really great in the movie. This movie only made $600,000 at the box office. And I went back and I at least looked at the acting nominations for what... (laughs) Like, what are the financials of this? How likely is it that you can be nominated with a really low gross and, like, have that not be a factor? The only one that I could really find, um, with caveats being, we have no idea how much money Mudbound made, and a lot of... At least in the past 20 years, you get into things like qualifying releases that get their actual release the week that nominations happen, and um, like Christmas releases, the only movie I could find that had sub $1 million before the actual nomination happened was Woody Harrelson for The Messenger. Oh, that's interesting. Right? Yeah. And I think that was something like $700,000 before he was, before the nomination happened. Right. So it's like money kind of matters. And I remember that being one of the reasons why I was like, yeah, I don't think Nicole Kidman's going to get nominated. Because this movie bombed. Oh, I mean, yes. Even by, like, limited release standards. It made $600,000. Yeah. I was also looking at, um, you know, that's sort of where, that's where the Paperboy ended. I'm sort of looking at where it began at Cannes that year. That was an interesting crop of especially American movies at Cannes that year. There were a lot of them. This was the 2012 Mm -hmm. uh, Cannes. This was the year that Amour won for Michael Hanukkah, but like it was the Paperboy, Mud, aforementioned Mud, so McConaughey had two movies there. Moonrise Kingdom opened the festival. On the Road, the uh Walter Sales adaptation of the um why am I blanking on his name? I keep wanting to say I keep You keep probably wanting to say Steinbeck. No, because... I keep wanting to say Kubrick and it's Kerouac and it's just my brain is playing <laughs> tricks on me. That's funny. And then Killing Them Softly, the Andrew Dominic movie. Remember when that was a thing? A movie yeah. I've still never seen, and I'm kind of okay with it. I thought it was fine. But it's interesting that like there was that big content- like contingent of American movies, and they all sort of settled. Moonrise Kingdom, I guess, is the exception. Moonrise Kingdom was like hugely acclaimed and you know came probably closer to a Best Picture nomination than we realize is my guess we had done the whole like as someone who does not love grand budapest if we had given moonrise kingdom it's due i agree maybe i agree with that i was not over the moon about anything about grand budapest except for ray fines i think agreed and yeah i think i would have much rather that moonrise kingdom have been that wes anderson movie that break i mean i would have loved it if you know royal tenenbaums had been that movie but you know what was playing in the um lower tier not the competition but uncertain regard that kind of got the american movie steam was beasts of the southern yes. wild yes a movie that so i it was kind loved. of like the outlier of well received oh that's my favorite movie of this year i loved that movie i thought it was really great fantastic like still 
eagerly awaiting the Ben Zeitlin follow-up movie. All you these are not going to be surprised. Uh, well, he's filming or filmed one that hopefully is coming yeah, next year. Yeah, I want to get um, it. You are not going to be surprised by this story, but Beasts of the Southern Wild will always stand out in my memory because I... Like, this was when I was still, like, working a different job, and, like, I would be seeing most of my movies on, like, Tuesday afternoons or, like, sure. Tuesday matinees. Sure. And so it's like it used to be me and all the blue hairs checking out a movie. And this movie specifically, I just, like, sat and wept in my seat, Aww. like, through the entire credits and, like, kept sitting there and crying. And this lovely older woman came up to me and said, are you okay, honey? And I was like, I'm fine. I just love this movie. That movie had a really interesting Oscar trajectory, too, because that was a movie, because that was also at Sundance, right? Yes. It was Sundance to Cannes. And then Mm -hmm. that was a movie that had a lot of early Best Picture buzz. And then as the Precursor Awards were happening and it was getting like steadily passed over. I don't think it got anything at the Golden Globes. I don't besides Quivangene. So. No. I don't think Quivangene didn't even get nominated. Right. That's the thing. So it was that uh, that year it was Amore and Beast of the Southern Wild were like the outliers, right? Where like they were the insurgents and then the mainstream ones were Argo, Lincoln, Life of Pi, Zero Dark Thirty, Django Unchained, Les Mis, Silver Linings Playbook even, like, because that was a much more, you know, that was a surprise, but it was, you know, big Hollywood stars and yada yada. And then right. the outsiders were Beast of the Southern Wild and Amour. And I remember Beast of the Southern Wild especially was predicted early. And then as these precursors came in, they were like, well, I guess it's too small. Well, I guess it's not going to happen. And I remember being the the sort of, not to like, whatever, to my own horn, but like, I kept being like, no, like, wait a second. This is the kind of movie that's going to not do well with the Globes, but do well with the Oscars. And because it benefits from the passion vote. Yes, that's the thing. And so like you can have a small contingent of people who are really passionate about the movie and it gets in. Can 100 people in a room and 99 of them don't vote for uh Beast of the Sun, they're wild, but then one of them does. There can be a hundred people in a room, and only one of them is Kovanshin Wallace. <laughs> but so, like, you even look at, like, the SAG nominees that year, and it was Lawrence Chestane, Naomi Watts, and then, like, Marion Cotillard for Rust and Bone, Helen Mirren for Hitchcock, which we recall from a previous uh, IMDb game conversation. But I was like, nope, it's going to be Kovanshin, and it's going to be Emmanuel Riva. Just watch it happen. And it did. And where were my accolades? Nowhere to be found. Right here, I believe. <laughs> it was a really interesting year. Like we'll we'll have more occasion to talk about 2012 in the future for other movies. But like this year has no end of fascinating topics. Not not least of which the Ben Affleck Argo thing, which is like too big of a thing to get into right now. But it was. And it's a really that's a strong best picture lineup. I do feel like also, and this is this is me coming from coming from somebody who doesn't love Django Unchained and doesn't love. I have complicated feelings about Les Mis. Um I outright hate that movie. Yeah, I thought I was really worried you were about to say Lincoln, but I think we are like I respect two Lincoln. Of the lone Lincoln lovers. No, okay, so I love it more than you do. Yeah, I think you love it more than me. Um. I really, I really respect it. No, the ones that I loved in that Best Picture lineup were uh, Life of Pi, Zero Dark Thirty, and Beast of the Southern Wild. 
and Amore. I mean, Amore is tough to be like, I loved Amore. Oh my God, I want to like watch Amore a billion more times. I loved it so much, I wanted to shove a pillow in my own face. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like this is a very interesting Oscar year to talk about. And like you mentioned, like the Ben Affleck of it all, like it always dominates the conversation, which like I think now we're a few years enough removed to say that like that probably completely came down to people love the movie and do not like him. I mean, I think a lot of people do, and and I think then did like him. That was fully in the thick of Jennifer Garner's image rehab of him. Like, for a long time, he was, like, the settled-down husband. Like, people really liked him then. And I think, well, ultimately, like, they, I think the opinion is probably down again now. But I think it sort of, because I think he's fallen back to, like, pre-Jennifer Garner levels. I don't know. Wait, but let's talk about supporting actress because yes, Kidman almost made it, and so who did make it? It was Anne Hathaway, Amy Adams for the Master, which Sally Field for Lincoln, Sally Field for Lincoln, Helen Hunt for the Sessions, and Jackie Weaver, as I mentioned, for Silver Linings Playbook. Of those five, who was your vote? Of that five, who was my vote? You're not gonna like this. Well, it's it's kind of close, but I don't think you're gonna like my answer. It would probably be Amy Adams. I think I get that performance in a way that like people just fully do not. I don't care for that movie, and I tend to forget that this was one of her nominations. If I ever forget an Amy Adams nomination, it'll uh, it'll odds are be this one. I always forget doubt if I'm gonna forget one. I generally think this is a very strong... I don't forget Doubt because I, I remember Viola Davis, and so I remember them in tandem. Um, I think it's a strong lineup. I forget lineup. it because Viola Davis dominates for me. Well, there we go. I think Jackie Weaver is a weak, is a weak nominee. I don't, I, I don't understand that. I think she's lovely. It's just a sign of how much people love that movie and how thin this field was and like right. how oh, reticent I, they were to nominate someone like I get it along that like, line. I just don't like... Ugh, I just don't see what is in that performance or in that character to merit a nomination. I I mean, like, I probably agree with you. I mean, like, she, like, stares off into, like, the distance with tears in her eyes. She, like... I guess. Um, her Oscar clip was, like, the first scene of the movie. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's the longest stretch of dialogue yeah, she has. Yeah, She's there. She's certainly there. As an Oscar nominee, she's definitely in that movie. Um, Helen Hunt, I think, is great. Sally Field, I think, is giving such an unexpected performance in Lincoln that sometimes I don't like it. But I think I don't necessarily think that it's bad. I think it's I think that is a character who was made to stand out in that movie because she was so, you know, Mm -hmm. ill fitting to her role in history. Do you know what I mean? I think that yeah. movie really sort of like drew a drew a line to the ways in which Mary Todd sort of felt out of place. She would be my close second to Amy Adams. I think a lot of what I love about Lincoln, I ascribe to Tony Kushner. And sure. Fe- Sally Field feels like a very like stagey performance to use reductive terms that it's just like she the Harper pit of uh exactly (laughs) just like ripping things to shreds yeah um sally field too it's like uh, i remember that season as her being really taken for granted and i think some of that is because people have like varying degrees of love for lincoln yeah um but some of it too like 
I don't think that that season she got appreciated for the kind of like cinematic comeback that she was she in a lot of those roundtables or was she left out of them? She might have done like one of the smaller ones. She didn't do the big one. Hold on, I want to I want to look this up. Keep talking about Sally Field. We love her the whole time. The whole time we love Sally Field. The whole time. Um. I don't know. Like, she had the TV show that she won the Emmy for, so it was like she was back in the public consciousness, so maybe that's partly why we took her for granted, too. And, I mean, she's a double Oscar winner. Like, it's going to be, like, it's hard for people to get that third. Um, And Anne Hathaway just kind of steamrolled, too, because people, because what she does for that movie, I hate that movie. I think her performance is, like, I don't agree with, like, the high hosannas of it, even though I think she's great. Um... And she had, like, the building narrative. Like, we always knew it was going to be Anne Hathaway's to a certain degree. I agree with that. I mean, Amy Adams shows that you can have a movie in which you give the main character a handjob and you do get nominated, which is important for us here at this podcast after we talked about we Hyde, love great Hyde Park on Hudson. Um Sorry, I'm trying to figure out who was on this roundtable. And the fact that there is not a Wikipedia page that just lists who was on the roundtables for The Hollywood Reporter Get year in, it, year guys. out, it's truly homophobia at its at its most insidious. Amy Adams was definitely in it. Would not be surprised if Nicole Kidman is on it. You know, this year's Hollywood Reporter roundtable like, really made me think, like, people always give Amy Adams shit for being on there and being, like, kind of shy and a wallflower which like of course we like everybody must be extroverted all the time um but nicole kidman as much as i love her as much as she's always interesting her spot this year felt like somebody else could have had that she's been there enough i agree with that i feel like yeah, I definitely agree with that i think we've gotten a lot of nicole kidman i am i am always i think there i think you have to have a mix of veteran and new people, but I feel like that would hurt. The veteran slot was pretty much taken care. I mean, you could have had Viola Davis for that slot, who I always think yeah. is full of, you know, incredible, you know, perspective and wisdom and stories and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And wait, is this it? And not to say that we don't always want more Nicole Kidman. Of course we do, but like, and I think, like, this year is not the most interesting year for her to, like, engage with other actors about, like, my performance, talking about, like, how it relates to your performance, you know? like Yeah. Wait, so who else is in this year's one? This year, it was Nicole Kidman, it was Regina King, it was Lady Gaga, Glenn Close, Catherine Hahn, and Rachel Weisz. Okay, so 2012 found it. All right. Hollywood Reporter Roundtable was Anne Hathaway Amy Adams. It was Sally Field. Okay, good. Naomi Watts, Rachel Weisz, Helen Hunt, and Marion Cotillard. That's a good group. I feel like that's yeah. a solid group. So It's a lot of people that didn't get nominated. It's a lot of people that didn't get nominated. That is true. But that was what Rachel Weisz for, must have been for Deep Blue Sea? Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. Wow. That is a movie that nobody saw got really close to getting a nomination and then like faded back to nobody saw it again. It's really interesting Tom how that Hiddleston's sometimes happens. supposed to be naked in that movie. Yeah. Tom Hiddleston's okay. got a good butt on him. That was a very big Tom Hiddleston breakthrough year, not to like fully derail it. So, okay. The Paperboy. 
ultimately, where does this movie sit as an Oscar movie, but just as a movie? How do you mean? Like, are people going to keep, like, discovering the Paperboy and being like, you won't believe this movie? Is this, is this going to live on and, and sort of improve in our memory because it is so outrageous? I think at the time that the movie came out, we were looking at it more for Matthew McConaughey, but I think the thing that makes people keep rediscovering this movie and talking about it is Nicole Kidman. Because I think it's very interesting, a very interesting performance in terms of everything else in her career. I'm... Like, I wouldn't put it in, like, her top ten performances, but I would have nominated her over some of the other performances this year. And I think it's so... There's something about a Nicole Kidman performance that, like, we've seen enough of her that we know, like, where she's kind of coming from as a performer. But, like, they all feel so distinct and separate. Um, and it's like, I see a through line of some of her other, like, tougher performances and, like, very disparate characters of, like, where she kind of wants to take the risk. So I think that the movie will still stick around because of her. And she has such an interesting career. Like, we are always going to be talking about her. Do you feel like it's going to be an an interesting one for Zac Efron for similar reasons or no? No, because I think he's... I mean, like, not to put this in like not to reduce him or like objectify him further but like i think the movie's only really interested in his body it's not in his to mind. the point where it's like all of his internal not in like, his driving he doesn't get to really express anything that's going on with inside jack it's all in even macy gray's yeah narration like he is the object in the movie my jack was in love with charlotte bless I could tell that horny little boy wanted to jump her on first sight. Everybody was confused why she was engaged to Hillary Van Wetter. Nasty white trash swamp. I just looked up who my picks were for supporting actress that year, and they're so almost defiantly anti-Oscar in a way that I, I genuinely don't believe I ever am. I like... I like Oscar-nominated performances, and there is often a lot of overlap between me and the Oscars, but not in Supporting Actress 2012. My top five... There's definitely one that I would have on mine that we haven't mentioned that was like similar to Anne Dowd, that it was a very homegrown effort. I would nominate Lorraine yeah. Toussaint for Middle of Nowhere. I knew that's what you were going to say. She's definitely on mine. Both Anne Dowd and Lorraine Toussaint were on my top five list. In addition to... Well, first of all, we should just say Middle of Nowhere, Ava DuVernay's... A directorial effort that came before Selma. This was the one that I think got her noticed by a lot of people. This was did not. She won the directing prize at Sundance. Yes, um, did not ultimately make a dent in awards season that year, but was on a lot of like these are movies you should be considering more than you should be consider than they are being considered. And it's a fantastic movie. Lorraine Toussaint plays the mother of a woman whose husband or his boyfriend. Is in, I believe it's the husband. Is in jail, and she's waiting for him. And then she meets David Oyelowo, um on a bus or something. It was very, like, very good meet-cute in that movie. I think it's a wonderful movie. Anyway. Their relationship, like, just them, like, looking at each other and, like, sussing each other out is so hot. Yeah. Emiatse Coronaldi. 
I always yep. stumble on pronouncing her name, who is also Another very good in Karen Kusama's The Invitation, which is a movie yes. I will always recommend to people. It's really good. So Lorraine Toussaint uh, and Dowd that year. I also had that was also the year of Savages, which I absolutely would have nominated Salma Hayek for Savages. She's so, so good in that Oliver Stone movie. That is kind of a mess, but fully worth seeing. What are your opinions on Savages? I haven't seen Savages. Chris, you should see it. Okay. Sarah Silverman for Take This Waltz, which was a hugely divisive movie that like a lot of people oh, did not yeah. care for. But I really liked and I loved Sarah Silverman in it. I really like that movie. I wouldn't nominate Sarah Silverman, but I like that movie. And then my winner that year would have been Britt Marling for Sound of My Voice. Okay. Did you see that movie? I did not. You love Britt Marling. I fucking love Britt Marling. I do. I know she's like a cuckoo pants, like artsy fartsy weirdo. I don't I love her. I absolutely love her. Okay. If we're doing rankings, let's loop this back to Kidman a little bit because she's having another like year. Yeah. Rank Nicole Kidman performances of this year being Boy Erased, Destroyer. Um, we haven't seen Aquaman, but you know, one can dream <laughs> and how to talk to girls at parties. Okay. I would say, again, haven't seen Aquaman. Just performances, not the movies. Like, just Nicole's yes. performance. Just performances. I am very easily How to Talk to Girls at Parties is my You name. are. Well, you love... I mean, you talk about I love Britt Marling. You love How to Talk to Girls at Parties. <laughs> you do. You want to marry it. You want to marry it and have its weird alien punk babies. Um. I, yeah, I would be... Ha- like, yeah. The way that the sexual politics of that movie happen, like, I would be having the alien baby. I, See that movie, gang. It's a blast. I think I ultimately do put her performance in Boy Erased at the top. I think there are a couple scenes. Not the big clippy scenes. I think the scene where ultimately she... After she busts him out and they have that, like, little talk at the restaurant about how, you know, sometimes... The shame on a me mo- too scene. Yes. I think the busting him out scene is her best scene. I think the best scene is when she's filling out the form back at the at, at the hotel. Filling out the form. And out the form. what's that? Sorry, I just busted into title of show. Apologies. Filling out the form. Okay. I wish I had seen that show. I could have participated with you, but I haven't. So no, when she's when she's talking about she's sort of like exasperated at all of the things that they want her to include on the form about like family history and all these sort of like sorted things. And um, I forget what the one thing she sort of like self like comedically blanches at, but it's, it's very funny and cute, but also like it's, there's a lot of sort of, you know, connecting with her son on a middle ground level that I feel like she's very smart about in that second best would be how to talk to girls at parties. And then we both agree Destroyer is last. I think Destroyer is not a good movie. I go back and forth as to how effective I think she is in it. I think she can be very compelling in that movie, especially in the flashbacks. But I don't know. The sort of like the steely, grit-faced, like determined to, you know, right wrongs or whatever it wears on you in that movie and it sort of, and it becomes less special and less interesting. I don't know. I My stance on her in that movie is like, we've talked about how like she does, she's interested in doing things she hasn't done before. She likes taking different kinds of risks. She likes riskier material. I think this is the rare time where it just 
doesn't work. Um, and for no fault of her own, it's just like for her and even Karen Kusama, which is part of the reason why I've tried to avoid talking about this movie a lot in conversation because like I want nothing but the best for the both of them. Um, I think it the movie just feels like an exercise. They're just trying to do they're like you know yeah they're trying to do something different with a very rote not good screenplay yeah and it just they can't pull it off like i don't know all right before um sorry before no i was going to say if we're going to say anything about aquaman i would just put her like character poster for aquaman (laughs) at like number two with her like hair blowing in the wind and she has a scepter and like a bodysuit yeah i agree Number two performance. No, <laughs> number two performance of the year. Nicole Kidman on the Aquaman poster. <laughs> Before we go into IMDb game, I want to sort of like unload everything from my notes that I haven't gotten to mention. Most of them are quotes because I did. This is a very quotable movie in terms of just like, I can't believe that is a sentence that came out of somebody's mouth in a movie. Um, I filled with a that. lot of them are Macy Gray voiceovers because a lot of them sound a lot funnier through Macy Gray's sort of like deadpan scratchy voiceover. One of them was they say he dragged his intestines for a mile before he died, which she says so matter of factly. They say he dragged his intestines for a mile before he died. Right at the beginning, talking about the sheriff who um, John Cusack's character may or may not have killed didn't talk enough about the nasty gore in this movie it's gross at one point nicole kidman just says my wig ain't acting right which feels like should be a you know anthem for something like that should be a title of a song or something like that my wig ain't acting right and then oh another macy gray one later on was so hillary took charlotte to the swamp as just sort of like an ending to a tale so hillary took charlotte to the swamp and that was it. And that was the end. It's what Lee Daniels does with us. We are sharp. I also love that the whole scene where uh, McConaughey goes to John Cusack's uncle's little swamp shack or whatever with his, like, real hillbilly, like, barefoot and pregnant. Barefoot, bare-chested and pregnant with, like, a baby on each one. It's There's a whole lot of imagery it's in that. like, that, like wow. Lee Daniels does not know how to go to anything less than 11 on the dial. But so I love the fact that like what they're trying to figure out there because McConaughey is trying to find out an alibi for John Cusack on the night of the sheriff's murder. And he and this guy's his uncle, right? Or his cousin? Yes. His uncle. And he's and the alibi was that Cusack said that that night he and his uncle were out stealing sod, which I find the most incredibly like sad detail of just like they were stealing sod great i yeah super great anything else you want to mention oh also the fact that this movie was originally supposed to be directed by pedro almodovar which we haven't talked about that tracks it totally tracks um and like because almodovar's flirted with making a movie in English for a very long time. Like one of the things that people forget is that like Julieta originated like, or one of his early ideas for it would have had Meryl Streep. In yes. Like, the 80s. Yes. Um, the Almodovar version of this movie is the one that keeps like the tone and stylistic texture of the first half hour and carries it through the rest of the movie because it's like that portion of the movie is like, pastels and like grain and the back half of the movie is just like 
beige. How does Pedro Almodovar film the scene where Nicole Kidman pees on Zac Efron? Oh, God. In, like, I don't know, like, giant golden streams (laughs) of waterfalls. And, like, it's half animated. And, like, after that, like, that the character of Jack is played by a different actor because he's He's never the same after that. Yes, absolutely. And then like that Charlotte only wears yellow from there on out, like bright yellow. Like, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's play the IMDb game. We love Pedro. IMDb game. Okay. So for our listeners who might be new to our podcast, the IMDb game is how we end every episode where we challenge each other to with a character actor, famous actor, whatever performer with the known for top four titles that the IMDb algorithm says that we remember this actor for. We always give the caveat of voiceover work or, um, like the Marvel cinematic universe, voiceover work, television work, um, just because that is a fair adjustment. Yes. Um, cause it's difficult. Um, Joseph. Yes. Do you want to go first? What? Would you like to challenge me? You challenge me first. Okay, so we've talked a lot about Lee Daniels. One movie that we did not talk about, his most uh, or his highest grossing film that was also very close to Oscar, we did not talk about The Butler. The Butler starring Forrest Whitaker. Your IMDb game challenge is Forrest Whitaker. Okay. Um, there's a few... Also, I didn't mention if you get two wrong guesses, we start giving out years. And right. then if you need help, it's just a free-for-all. Is Last King of Scotland one of them? Yes, it is. Okay, his Oscar win. His okay. Oscar win. Oh... Part of me wants... There's one really terrible movie that I want to say, but I, I'm, I'm not sure if it shows up there. Hmm. You don't have any wrong guesses yet. In fact, you are one for one on your guesses. I am one for one on my guesses. Um, oh. Now I'm thinking of like all of like the movies where Forrest Whitaker plays just sort of like a nice, smiling man. You know what I mean? Like... Just sort of a kind presence. Wait, is Rogue One one of them? Yes, Rogue One. Rogue One, which, like, makes... The whole, like, production, like, woes of Rogue One, Forrest Whitaker is the most fascinating part of it to me because they completely overhauled his character. Yeah. Like, to the point where you watch different trailers and it's a completely different character design. Fascinating. Fascinating. All right, the one I was going to guess that now I've got two right, I'll just burn this maybe, is Battlefield Earth. Yes. Yes. Okay. You have no wrong answers. Okay. Um, Battlefield Earth, notorious trash trapeze. Okay. So now I have, I can throw away. Is one of them the crying game? No. Okay. I love his part of the crying game before it actually gets into like what the movie is actually about. Um, the part of like, he's the kidnapped, kidnapped by the IRA kind of guy. Okay. Huh, Forrest Whitaker. I almost want to like play the questions game of like, is he leader supporting? Is he, you know? But no, I don't do because that yet. I, know. I know, I still have guesses to burn. Um, the thing with Forrest Whitaker is he doesn't have a lot of leads, right? I ask into the ether. I mean, um, all right, I'm not answering questions. The only yet. movie that's jumping into my head right now is Phenomenon, so I'm just gonna guess Phenomenon. No, Phenomenon is wrong, so you're going to get the year. 
It is 2013. 2013. Oh, is it the butler? It is the butler. You I dick. was like, Joe's going to be real mad. You dick. It was right there. It was li- no, like I would have guessed that right away. Yeah. Um, it, can I say what I really was hoping was going to be on there? Yes. I was really hoping that Waiting to Exhale or Hope Floats would be on as there a director. He directed. Those. Yeah. 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 It's true. All right. Yours. I'm going to take us on a little bit of a journey through the IMDb. I love a journey. Um, we are. You took me on a journey. Why not? We are a podcast that likes to go on a journey. So, the the Paperboy was based on a novel by Pete Dexter, who is a writer who has done had books adapted into movies and has also been a screenplay writer himself. His first, no, sorry, his second screen credit is for the only movie I'm pretty sure that was ever directed by famed Hollywood producer Lily Finney Zanuck. She was a producer on like a bunch of these 80s movies. She was married to Richard Zanuck, but they like produced a bunch of Oscar telecasts together. So that movie was called Rush, which is most famous for the Eric Clapton song Tears in Heaven that was like a giant number one hit. This one, we should maybe talk about this one because it, danced on the edges of Oscar buzz because it was about like drug addicts, like this couple who are also drug addicts. It was Jason Patrick because they were like, they were were undercover cops and they become drug addicts by being undercover. And it's Jason Patrick and Jennifer Jason Lee. So Jennifer Jason Lee is the one that I'm going to give to you to guess. Okay. We like her a lot. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Um, Dolores Claiborne. Yes. Single white female. Yes, you're good at this. The hateful age. Yes, you've become better at this than me, which feels very like The Apprentice is now the master kind of a thing. And I, I'm telling you, I I am the Sasha Bell of this game. I have cracked the code. Um, Remind me why that's a Sasha Bell thing. Because in season seven, Sasha Bell goes into the workroom being like, I am the super fan. I have cracked the code. I know what you need to do to win the game. And then she goes out first. Second. Second. Who was first that year? First that Tempest year, du jour. season seven, it was... Geez. Oh, yeah, it was Tempest. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Ah, justice for Tempest du jour. Um, okay, so Jennifer Jason Lee. I bring up Tempest Margot du jour Adelaide. to attempt to throw you off. Oh. <laughs> um, no, Margot at the wedding. No. Ooh. Um. Hmm. Jennifer Jason Lee has been great for forever. Oh um, wait, sorry, I I uh, did not mention this. It's a voice performance. Oh, it's Anomalisa. Yeah, sorry, it didn't. Normally that, they will mention it on the. They'll like actually like say voice, and they don't for this. But I had I of course know that that was a voice sorry. performance. It is Anomalisa. Um, can we count that as a perfect score? Yes, I will. Yeah, you should get that. Ga- you yes, should get that another perfect back. score. Yeah, well done. Jennifer Jason Lee, okay, other than Anomalisa, which it's like the rules of the game, like kind of give it away. Yes. Um, unless uh, there's some other voice performance that I'm not thinking of. I, I think that's pretty easy. Or maybe like it's easy for a gay person. <laughs> Please put that on Dolores a t-shirt. It's easy for a gay person. I don't know whether <laughs> the I The one easy thing for gay people is to know Jennifer Jason Lee's IMDb game results. I might have been more reticent to guess Dolores Claiborne. Because 
I love Are you that kidding movie. me? That movie has been on heavy rotation on TNT since probably before the movie even <laughs> came out. Like, there is no TNT That's without Dolores Claiborne. I'm trying to think of what other... I would have probably guessed Hudsucker, because I think Hudsucker is her one of her most, you know, well-known and, and fantastic roles. I might have guessed Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle, because she got a whole bunch of critics' awards for that and came close, but... Maybe not close, close as close as we even think for Mrs. Parker. Maybe Jennifer Jason Leigh is not easy for gay people because those two movies, well, not Hudsucker, but like the only people who know about Mrs. Parker are gay people. Georgia was another one. I was this. I got in this conversation on Twitter actually a few weeks ago about um, that the fact that her only Oscar nomination is for The Hateful Eight bugs me because not that I don't think it's a good performance, but I don't like that movie and I hate that it's like that. That's you know, it's the only Jennifer Jason Lee Oscar movie. And somebody was like, well, what else would you have nominated for, nominated her for? And to me, it's... Margot at the Wedding. It's Hudsucker. Margot at the Wedding is a good one, too. To me, it's Hudsucker. And then Georgia with the caveat that, like, 12 actresses should have been nominated that year in 1995. Like, that's a tough year to really say. Like, this year. You know what movie we should talk about on this podcast at some point? Is A Thousand Acres. Um, I think I threw that out to you a while back because, like, my days of like scouring the used DVD places. I yes. Acres. All right. Now that we've mentioned it on the podcast, we have to do it. So, look out for that one. So, when Chris posts a, a Twitter poll about like which movie starring Jessica Lang are we doing, just know that we're going to do a thousand acres. A thousand acres. Yeah. All right. Yay! Good podcast. The Paperboy. Not a great movie, but the paper like, boy wouldn't piss on it if it were on fire. <laughs> I said I will kick your ass. If anyone's gonna piss on him, it's gonna be me. <laughs> wouldn't piss on it if a jellyfish stung it. Yeah, which like essentially all critics kind of did because it got shit reviews. Yeah. Um, I don't know. To your question of will this movie stick around, I think it weirdly will, and it'll be, like, forever that movie. Like, remember the Paperboy? Remember when Nicole Kidman, like, ripped open her pantyhose for John Cusack? I will say, watch this movie, if only for the Macy Gray stuff. She's genuinely great. She should be cast in more movies. We love Macy Gray. There's a scene in the kitchen where Kazek Efron has, has used the N-word in her presence and really, really pissed her off because she thought they had a better relationship than that. And he tries to apologize to her while she's like working in the kitchen for the for the wedding, right? For the father the father's yes. wedding. And she's so fucking great in the scene where like she does not she does not overplay it at all. She like knows that it's a big scene, but she is not going to give you this like histrionic, like, you know, Oscar clip scene. She's just going to be very disappointed and very closed off. And it's really good. Yeah. Macy Gray is like the only thing in this movie that feels real. Love it. Love it. Well, that is our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account if you don't already. We're, ha- we're at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, tell our listeners where they can find you and your stuff. I am on the Twitter machine at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on the Letterboxed machine at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. And come talk to me there. Respond to my stuff. We'll have a good time. 
Yeah. I am also on the Twitter.com. I'm at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. I'm also on Letterboxd at Chris V. File. Please go there and check out our, li- our running list of our This Had Oscar Best titles that have all of our IMDb train. Uh, our IMDb game trivia stats and we have direct links to previous episodes. We'd also like to thank Kyle Cummings. Oh, I should also mention I'm also at thefilmexperience.net and we would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review is super appreciated by us and helps us become more visible to new listeners on iTunes. And if anybody's going to pot on them, it's going to be us. <laughs> but uh, that's all for this week. That's all for the pee jokes. And we hope you come back next week for more buzz. <laughs> You're so stupid. Everyone's a winner, baby.